0: Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today we're with Michael, our resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and I'm Matt Till, located in the suburban sprawl of Chicago, Illinois, Merry Christmas, guys. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas.
1: <clears throat> and we're all festive-like and having our hats and
0: uh, ready and in the Christmas spirit. Ho, ho, ho. I've got bad news, though. Oh, no! <laughs> what's that? I've got terrible news. <laughs> terrible news. Yeah. You're not going to like it. Uh-oh. Christmas is canceled. <laughs> oh, is Christmas that because is Trump lost? No, uh, that's because okay. Santa Santa, and Mrs. Claus have COVID.
1: Oh, not
0: super spread oh, event, goodness. all the elves. It's terrible. <laughs> wow. And don't tell us that he has underlying health conditions. Well, I'll let you figure that one out, I guess. I mean, I he, I'm not his doctor. Obese. I'm not his doctor. I'm not privileged to that. You know, HIPAA laws, things like that. So today we're talking Christmas, and uh, we're talking all things uh, Santa Claus, ho, 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 and uh, sprinkled in there a little bit of uh, mission, uh, living for Jesus. Isn't that right, guys? Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to start us with a
1: question, because this just pops into my head, and it's because of something that you said uh, the other day, Matt. And I don't know how Andrew has has done this yet, but uh, how have you guys talked with your kids about Santa? And you had an interesting thing to come up in, you,
0: in your family, right, Matt, with your kids. I did I thought that was wonderful. We have had we've had other we've actually had multiple <laughs> conversations. It's it's actually really funny uh as to what's happening in our family this year. It started off like we we don't make a big deal about Santa Claus, but uh you know, he's not ignored. Uh we still watch all the Christmas movies and we love them. But we've always been very intentional about reminding the kids as to why we celebrate Christmas. And then going into the season, for some reason, the, the the kids like abandoned, like actually for the longest time, they were like, yeah, you know, Santa's just a thing we do, but really it's about Jesus. The beginning of the season, they had abandoned that and went all in on, on Santa Claus this year. Like it oh. was, they, they were buying into all the mythology, everything. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but, wow but as the as the as the weeks have been going by and as we get closer it's really funny to watch because now uh for example uh yeah i shared this i think on facebook where we uh had an instance where uh the kids were baking and i come into the kitchen and i'm like what are you guys doing and my son he's like we're baking cookies for santa and then the youngest <laughs> with a very stern and direct voice stop it santa isn't real <laughs> Did you also update them that those cookies were going to be terrible yeah. by the time Christmas actually rolled around? Oh, they I didn't mean, even those make would be it. the stalest pieces of brick ever. <laughs> they didn't even make it. Oh, They're already gone, you know? <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> wow. Well, so, that's fair. Yeah. So we, we've been having some fun with uh, Christmas this year. Um, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, you know, for us, but we... Uh, Um, Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's cool this year, what's happening is that our kids are taking in all the information. And really, for the first time, you can see them starting to wrestle through the bigger questions of like, wait, we kind of have this mythological uh, person of of Jesus. And then we're able to kind of talk, well, you know, St. Nicholas was a real person. And we kind of were inspired by him as to where we kind of get this, um, you know, these stories from. And, and yet, did you mean the mythological person of Santa? Yes. What did I say? I, Jesus. Well, see, that's what we <laughs> got to talk about. You guys got to set me straight this year. That's I was what... so
2: I was so intuned on what Matt was saying. I completely <laughs> I missed the heresy. That was
0: it. It oh. just went right. That's why over we got to talk. Head. That we, I, you guys got to set me. You I guys was guys waiting for him straight. to straighten it out. Yeah, you guys got to set me straight. I'm glad you caught <laughs> me. Yeah. No the the mythological person of santa and how does jesus fit into this you know and so it's been it's been really exciting just to see our kids kind of wrestle with these bigger questions and you know they're young and you know it's hard to always understand it all but um yeah it's been been part of the fun this year and part of the challenges too and just kind of embracing it not vilifying um the santa experience A- andrew how about you well uh it's funny we watch are you teaching your kids heresy like i am oh no okay <laughs> i mean
2: well, that's for another podcast. But um we watched The Christmas Chronicles last night. So, apparently we didn't get the memo that we were supposed to love it when it came out 2 years ago. And so, is it any they, good? I haven't seen it either. It's entertaining. Frankly, it's just like I just kind of like watching Kurt Russell be Kurt Russell. <laughs> and and that was a lot of fun. But anyway, um so I'm putting my youngest Millie to bed. And uh, she just was kind of like, why do people believe in Santa Claus? Hmm. So we haven't, you know, we, we have always told our kids, there are some people that really love the the idea of a jolly old man coming down the chimneys and delivering them these wonderful, beautiful presents. And I think I remember saying last year when we had our Christmas episode, uh, Megan and I want the credit for all the things we give our kids. We are not letting somebody else. It's 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 about us. I'm selfish, just but it so is absolutely selfish. selfish, and we're fine with that. And so, um, but so last night, as Millie's going to bed, she's like, "What? Why do people do this? They just didn't make sense to her, and and, and almost it was." kind of humorous she's like it just doesn't make sense that there's one person who goes over all the world and delivers all the presents and mm-hmm. is able to do it all in one night you know for her it's like a scientific impossibility that's why she says it's ridiculous and let's not do it and she's like but why do people want that that's where she was why did she, why do they want that and and so i'm in a uh, sermon on the mount right now prepping for a sermon Uh, We'll be going through that as a church at the beginning of next year. And so I was kind of leaning in on this comparison that Jesus is making of the Pharisees keep setting a law and something that you have to achieve. And the people are just constantly reminded they will never achieve it. And I said, Millie, I don't get it either, because the way Santa works is you've got to be really good all year long. Nobody can live up to that standard period. I said, Jesus came because we couldn't live up to that standard. So I don't know why we want to heap ourselves into a season where we are trying to earn it by doing good, because we all fail. So I was like, that's why we need Jesus. So I don't know. I, I unintentionally went straight to mission last night because I was just kind of fed up trying to answer her questions as a seven-year-old. And uh
1: well, yeah, that's went. a great answer, though. I mean, and. Yeah. T- just to think how perceptive she is at 7 asking those questions and having those thoughts and figuring this out
2: i mean that's, She's that's just one.
1: really really cool
2: yeah so uh michael how are how are you know if your kids since they are no longer chitlins you know how do they do they just kind of look at all the santa stuff and say that's cute are they angry about it where are they on it
1: uh, you know I, I think you know we we have Santa Clauses around our house by the way uh thanks to my mother in law she loves santa Claus. and and uh so we've we've always had this kind of uh, it's not really attention because you know we we uh determined early that that we didn't want to uh to necessarily expose our kids to something that was a myth and then find ourselves in a situation where we had to Explain that uh, to them, but wanted to be, you know, straight up with them early on and and to be historic about it Um, I I mean really at at some level it comes down to, you know, are are we going to um, Tell historic uh, verifiable stories about uh, some of these uh, characters who are real and we have documentation about them or are we going to create this myth of a figure that really is larger than life uh, in Santa Claus and and we wanted to to fall on the side of being historic about it because there's great value in knowing the story of St. Nicholas. Um, and it, the, just the incredible things that he did uh, as a bishop in Mira in. Um, and uh, and celebrating that, and saying, "Look, here's an example of a person in the early church who was following hard after Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus wanted to do." And and uh, and yeah, so we we told those stories to our kids, and downplayed Santa, although you know we still look at him as a cute uh, figure, um, but uh, but really wanted to focus on the real uh, reason for this time period that that we celebrate the birth of Christ and, and celebrate those people who really emulate uh,
2: their own lives after the life of Christ. Michael, you just hit on something and I wanted to ask you, and I think maybe we can take our conversation this way, uh, but you were talking about Santa and the mythology built around this historical figure and that there is an historical figure that was St. Nick. And now there is a tubby white Santa that drinks Coca Cola. You know, it has—that's has my favorite long, version. He is just so jolly. What's wrong with that? Um, so, it has long departed from who the person was in history to the myth that is now um, celebrated today. Uh, I wanted to know whether you, Michael, think or or Matt do you think that the real person of Jesus in the real circumstances that he had in history have been lost through the mythology of the Christmas story as we love to tell it?
1: Hmm. Well, I I mean, definitely the Christmas story that we tell today is, um, at least it seems to me has departed from that first Christmas story in many ways and uh and we've added all kinds of really cute kind of cultural um ideas about the christmas story and that that oftentimes have no base in the actual narrative that we find in matthew 2 and and luke 2 but how we got to uh santa claus is uh the probably more of a story of creative marketing than it is anything else. Um, I mean, Coca Cola, we mentioned, you mentioned a moment ago, those images of Santa drinking Coca Cola, Coca Cola is largely responsible for um, that that character that we today call Santa Claus. And so you see him with Coke bottles in all kinds of places. I have a, a picture of Santa with Coca Cola drinking at the cradle of Jesus. And uh, and so, yeah, and those kinds of images and perceptions of this mythic figure, I, I think, can at times um, cause uh, young people to question, you know, well, if Santa's a myth, could Jesus be a myth as well? I mean, after all, Santa was at the cradle of Jesus drinking Coca-Cola or whatever other image we might see then. And I know it's popular at this time period to even see uh, different depictions of Santa kneeling at the cradle. So uh, um, yeah, there's a, there's a uh, attention here, culturally speaking of what do we do with this uh, mythic figure of Santa, vis a vis the historic figure of
0: Jesus. It seems like complicating all of this as well is just the uh, conflation of so many other wintertime traditions. I mean, where do we get the Christmas mm. tree from? Why? Um, pagan rituals of the day. And then the church really kind of taking a stance, um, you know, the early church, um, maybe not New Testament church, not first century church, but a little later, Um beginning to reorganize the calendar around the birth of Christ, and then kind of associating itself with the existing winter festivals and, uh, you know, pagan rituals of the day, that uh, then we kind of shifted the timeline for when we believe the birth of Christ might have occurred. And we start kind of adapting ourselves into the culture. And, um, and so I think a lot of this kind of In some ways, I think the historical church has not done us a really great favor in regards to being distinguished from these other things that have taken place. So, of course, it would only make sense that Jesus and the birth of the Messiah, the miraculous virgin birth of the Messiah, would just kind of get lumped into some of these other things. Um, Michael, I know you addressed this in your book that you wrote last year, um, but maybe we could just kind of explore a couple of those things as to maybe how, how do we see that as... Is it potentially destructive is it is it um not helping our cause necessarily or at least kind of creating these uh alternative narratives and stories
1: yeah you know it, it's a really an interesting issue of contextualization um because i think the the motives of the early church and again we're not seeing that the real celebration of the birth of christ in december until the into the 300s, maybe as early as 200, but into the 300s and then beyond um, is when we begin to, to see him celebrated uh, the nativity celebrated in December. And and um, yeah, so so I just lost my complete train of thought. That was a train
2: wreck right on there. Okay. So so for a recap, Michael, you were talking about ways in which. Um, in history we have contextualized yeah there's that story so there's your there's your launch back end point ready go good Good.
1: (laughs) yeah and it's i mean you think about it i I think the early church was brilliant in terms of connecting uh, jesus's story with uh, events surrounding some other significant uh, pagan rituals and um and 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 then you know what there is other debates that are going on too of whether or not those actual beliefs pagan beliefs uh came after uh the the narrative of jesus's birth came out or if they were before and whatever the case the, the heart of the church was to build a bridge in the culture and and so they did that by connecting uh the birth account of jesus to uh, th- this time period in in the calendar and um and uh, for the most part um it worked uh, um although you know there was still always this hint of these pagan traditions that never quite died out they were simply christianized and so you know we talk about the tradition of the christmas tree well there d- most definitely was not a christmas tree at the birth of jesus um Uh, and we don't see that
0: palm tree didn't a Christmas palm tree didn't didn't have ornaments on it,
1: Right. Yeah. And presents around it. Um, so that's a later addition to the Christmas, uh, traditions that we celebrate here in the West. And it's interesting because many of the Christmas traditions that we do celebrate in the West take part in the northern hemisphere. Um, and in the north part of the northern hemisphere, uh, where there's actual winter. And so we associate Christmas with snow. I mean, we love a white Christmas in our family. And it looks like this year, uh, Lord willing, we might have one. We haven't had one the past couple of years, but uh, we're holding out hope that we'll have a white Christmas. But uh, a lot of those traditions um, take place in uh, northern Europe. And... uh, And we've brought them into our Western cultural traditions. And, you know, it's so interesting to me because I've had the wonderful privilege to travel during this season in different parts of the world. And uh, and and places where you would never expect to see a a, uh, Christmas tree, some type of fur, evergreen. And uh, and they would have them there decorated. And sometimes they would be fake, even. but uh but that became associated with christmas that tree that symbol of that tree and so, then of course you, sorry, know, you have all kinds of creative uh people illustrating you know the shape of the tree being a triangle which is symbolic of the trinity and all of these other kinds of things that they try to use as bridges into culture and so i think you know if anything the traditions surrounding christmas uh, western uh, christmas Uh, are examples of ways in which Christians try to bridge into uh, the particular cultures where they were located.
2: But are we trying to be too clever for our own good? I mean, I think that's kind of where I feel on some of these things where there is a good heart that we may have had Mm -hmm. at one point, um, but it almost feels like that sermon analogy that got away from you. Like you you were trying so hard to try to make this point and then at the end of it, you're like, how did I get here? And what was I talking about? But also Jesus and Christmas. Like mm. I, I feel in some way the the desire to contextualize has become so far removed from the truth of Christmas that we're now just long gone. We've 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 lost it all
1: yeah yeah i I think you're right i mean we talk about over contextualization and christmas might be an example of that where we've over contextualized we've drawn too much of the culture into the story of jesus uh to where now they're there i mean it's hard to identify uh the uniqueness of that story uh, with jesus because you know, today, as we've already mentioned, we've conflated that story with Santa Claus and we put Santa at the scene of the cradle. And and then we create all kinds of other things that are celebrated in Christmas programs like uh, uh, like uh, that my favorites, the little drummer boy and and, uh, it, you know, things like that. So
0: I guess here's what I'm uh, wanting to ask as well is, uh, you know, the thing I've been noticing, at least in the culture, is that we are very fascinated with historical revisionism lately. Mm. And uh, so my wife and I just started, uh, well, I mean, we were kind of into it for a while, The Man in the High Castle. It's an Amazon series. It's historical revisionist, um, basically uh, playing out the what if game of what if actually Nazi Germany won <laughs> World War II, okay? Okay. Uh, and then so playing that out, and uh, that's, very, it's very fictional, but it's also very fascinating. And it also kind of just kind of has an interesting cultural uh, critique. We just started watching another show that's on Apple TV plus that um, is um, uh, for all mankind. And it's basically if the Soviets beat us to the space race into the moon. And so it's again, it, and they're, and actually what's interesting is that they're using real characters, <laughs> real people. I mean, like Neil Armstrong is in it. Um, you've got like the actual uh, Buzz Aldrin. I mean, these, these are like the people who are like, we know these people. They did real factual things in history. But now we're telling the story in a new and creative and inventive way to kind of turn the lens on the current culture. And actually it's got a a lot of undertones, uh, within this uh, particular, uh, show that is trying to kind of, you know, kind of demonstrate like what would have happened and would it have led to this versus the other thing? Um, and so it's very interesting. I think we, we, as a culture right now have a very uh, deep interest in kind of playing out the what ifs, the historical revisionism, um, I think we start to see this play out too with the the story of the miraculous birth. And I mean, mm. granted, it's not uncommon that we've, for all the reasons we've already been talking about as to why do we try to dismiss or we, you know, take on these other kind of, uh, you know, mythologies, but to turn Jesus into a mythology of its own or to kind of play out the what ifs, I think is also a bit in vogue right now. Uh, how do we see that uh, kind of playing out in, I think maybe in, it could be negative, could be positive. I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's um, kind of emblemic of—is that the right word? It, it's, it's emblematic. Uh, emblematic of the post-truth culture that we're in today, um, and uh, and so whatever you know, people can come up with that almost becomes their reality. And that, there's so much danger in that, because then we really ha- find it difficult to distinguish between what is real truth and what is not real truth, uh, because everybody has their own truth. And and I think, you know, in one sense, it's human nature to do this. Um, and the Christmas story, I think, is one of those stories where we have uh, embellished it to such an extent that... Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between what we've learned as a culture of the Christmas story and what we read of the Christmas story in Scripture. And um, yeah, and so that that raises all kinds of concerns for us when we want to get to the truth of the person of Jesus Christ and his historicity and the veracity of uh, and the reliability of the New Testament documents to tell his story uh, of why he came
2: uh, to to earth. Well, as we keep um, as a society that is either making alternate truth or, or chasing after stories, I think it also makes it difficult for us as Christians, because what we end up doing is we spend our time chasing after shadows. And so you're arguing about ancillary things and spending your time talking about the outside stuff and not really dealing with the facts of the matter at the very heart of it. Mm -hmm. that There was a God who came down in human form to save all of humanity. Instead, you're arguing about the fact whether or not Jesus was born in an inn with an innkeeper. And there were, you know, rooms in the place and, or or if he was actually born in a, a, a relative's home, (laughs) In the front room, like you're, 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 you're missing the whole point of the season. And when we, as leaders, as Christians, as people who are filled with Christ or filled with the Holy spirit bearing Christ's name, we end up arguing about the stuff that really doesn't, doesn't matter. I Mm. mean, it does, it's historically true, but when it comes to saying something that matters, we spend all of our time kind of wasting it on ancillary items.
1: Yeah. And I think what happens when we do that um, oftentimes is that we begin to read our story into Jesus's story and we make him according to our image rather than letting him uh, show us who he is in what can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Can can you you elaborate? Like, how does that look? Sure. Yeah. You know, here's an example. I, I read this, uh, uh, on Facebook, of course, we get all of our truth from Facebook, so it must be true. Um, but I saw this uh, summary of a sermon that was given uh, one Sunday on the Christmas story. And the sermon went something to the effect that uh, the, Jesus and the, the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, were rejected by, the, by uh, not having a place in anywhere. And so because of that rejection, um, they were given a stable to give birth in. And the expense of that stable uh, was uh, paid by the, end, the innkeeper. And so there was a radical hospitality that was extended to uh, Jesus and Joseph. And that was contrasted with the radical hostility of Herod, who murdered uh, actually, the, the sermon, uh, the, the pastor said that Herod had committed genocide, uh, ethnic cleansing, if you will, when in fact it was infanticide, not genocide, uh, the killing of infants, not the killing of a whole ethnic population population. And so, but that sounds so much like our story right now, and what we're living through in the 21st century, doesn't it? Where we have, as a Western world, particularly in the United States, we've rejected the immigrant. And so, in contrast to that, here's an example given in a sermon where there was radical hospitality to the outsider to welcome them in um and then uh, of course we we hear of the unfortunate plight of many around the world where they actually are experiencing genocide and we read that into Jesus's story and and um yeah so we have to be very careful as expositors of God's word not to read ourselves into it but to really exegete it properly so that we can get to the truth of what god uh intends for us to to understand about who jesus is and it seems to me that you know when we begin to read so much of ourselves into that story boy we just are taking so much away from jesus himself and uh and this is not the time of year when we want to do that we want to celebrate him uh and his birth and and the just the just the idea of him coming from his throne to a cradle, and uh, all for us. Um, we want to get that story right because it's a meaningful story, that, as much to us as as for the entire
2: world. Isn't it fascinating that we insert ourselves into the story? You know, you're giving examples of of the the mistreatment, maltreatment um, horrible treatment of the immigrant. And then, uh, we, we changed the story of Jesus to highlight this in the story instead of allowing the actual story of Jesus to have something to say to the Mm -hmm. immigrant situation. And in fact, the, the true story of Jesus has something far greater and far more significant to say by way of impact, both to that situation and in our lives and how we are to be involved in bringing newness through, uh, through Christ, Christ, working through us to bring newness to that situation. That is far greater than whatever retelling that we've done or trying to contextualize it. Uh, we have bastardized it. We've made it far, far less impactful than God ever intended it to be. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and we do that with other stories
1: as well in Scripture. Um, it, we tend to read ourselves into in, into those stories, or read our contexts into those stories, and and um, and, and we devalue uh, the intention of
0: Scripture. This goes back to the contextualization conversation, though. I mean, this is what this is, isn't it? It's it's trying to figure out how do we do the balance of telling this remarkable miraculous story as is and allow it to be contextualized or maybe not allow it to but how do you connect it with the the heartstrings of the day the the passions of the day the um the news of the day uh, the things that's dominating what everybody's thinking about in this moment um mm. how do we do that well um as we are people who are living on mission and people who are looking to speak into um with, with hope with real hope um in hopeless days
2: i have found yeah. that uh, it has been really encouraging to think through and uh, reflect on um kind of the advent season anew in 2020 i just feel that this year of covid has looked so much different than christmas time in all previous years and i don't know what it is this year this year just feels significantly and vastly different and so when coming to advent and looking at those you know those four candles that you've got uh, uh, hope and joy and peace and love and that, you know, for us, those four sermons that wrap around that, I just found that when we're thinking about contextualization, just how significant and how um, I'm trying to come up with the right superlative to make it seem like the the bigness and the vastness and the weight of all the glory that Jesus brings in mm. this situation. The, the peace is that much more peaceful. The joy is that much more full. The, the, the hope carries to the corners that I hadn't allowed hope in. Like the contextualization of Jesus this year at Christmas during the, the era of a global pandemic, he just seems that much more wonderful, you know? And, and to contextualize Jesus this year just seems like, have you had a rough year? Try Jesus. And and you know I don't mean to make it so like a like a slogan on a Coke bottle or something, but like sounds more like a T shirt. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it did. That actually, I think I stole that from one of my dad's <laughs> camp T shirts from when I was uh, a, a young child. But uh, yeah. I don't know. It just seems that with all that we're dealing with, Jesus, he seems that much better because he is. Yeah. Yeah. And you
1: I, and you guys know this. I, I don't like to talk about contextualizing Jesus. Um, I mean, we've done that we and we do that. And I think there have been good attempts at that. But I'd much rather talk about connecting the true stories of Jesus with where we are today, not in not in an attempt to change those stories, because a lot of the Christmas story has changed. Um, Jesus was not born in a stable. Scripture does not say that. Um, if anything, scripture indicates that he was He was born in a house. Yes, definitely. He was in a manger, but that manger was in a in a house. Uh, there were not three wise men. They were not at the birth event and so on. So we've we've done that. We've embellished those stories to try to make them connect with different aspects of our culture and 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 that's a part of what contextualization can do sometimes it's overdone and in some cases uh, i mean we've seen that it's been overdone and so i think for us you know again we we live in this post truth culture right now where everybody has their own truth and we see we've just have gone through and we're still suffering through Uh, This election cycle, where there have been just um, incredible stories fabricated about this election, and many people grab onto those stories and they have those catchphrases and, and, uh, and slogans and that you cannot convince them of anything differently than what it is that they're already convinced of. And um, and so when we come to the Christmas story and we've embellished it with these other uh, events that just aren't in the scripture, then then um, it, boy, it just makes it all the more difficult to tell the true story of Jesus and uh, why it was that he came uh, at that particular time. But you know, at the same time, I do think that there are the historical points. Uh, similarity that we're experiencing today with the time of Jesus. And it's I think it's very appropriate for us to make those observations and connecting points so that uh, Andrew, as you said, we can genuinely celebrate the joyous, hope filled uh, account of the true nativity when when uh, God came in human, uh, form to uh, bring the good news that was intended for all people. And, uh, and that is genuinely something to celebrate.
0: Michael, and just in our last minute here, how would you have recrafted that sermon that you referenced earlier, you, you hear what the the pastor was trying to go for, trying to connect with um, immigrants, trying to t- talk about hospitality, trying to make that connection? Is there a way you would have done that? differently in just yeah. maybe the last minute here
1: yeah boy that's a tough one just off the cuff here i mean there definitely is a connecting point between jesus and immigrants i mean it's after uh the, the wise men come uh that the the holy family take flight to egypt and here we see jesus and his family are immigrants in uh in a Potentially a hostile place. We've known uh, in the past that it was hostile to Jews. There was probably a significant Jewish population wherever it was that they went in Egypt. But but yeah, I mean, we can see that Jesus can relate to the immigrant because he was an immigrant. And then he re-immigrated into Palestine uh, after that. And so, so I think there are connecting points when we want to try to get across this idea of hospitality, of welcoming in the immigrant, um, and that we can see those directly connected to Jesus's story. So I would have—I mean, I would have much rather have focused on the true things about this that story, rather than fabricate th- this notion of a radical hospitality, which just—just just simply doesn't make sense when yeah. we know the true story yeah. of uh, that account.
0: Well, just to all of our listeners, if you are a pastor or a preacher, we do not go around uh, uh, <laughs> Monday morning quarterbacking uh, your sermons. <laughs> we do not make a practice of that. Uh, so uh, they are they are safe, but...
1: Uh, <laughs> Yeesh, that would be rough if we did. That would be Oh, terrible. man. Yeah.
0: You but, know, but uh,
1: th- from time to time, they come across the Facebook feed and you just think, wait, what, what were people thinking when they... Preach that, or, I well. I, and I'm, you know what? I'm, each of us here on this podcast have been guilty at one time or another of uh, inputting a little bit more of us into a sermon than uh, really focusing on Christ. So, we're, we're I have
2: enough bad sermons and bad analogies that are cringe-worthy for years. I don't need to waste my time uh, tearing down <laughs> enough of other people's because
0: that is, uh, I am very much on common ground in need of change. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. So, well, thanks guys. And also just underscores the ability or the importance of doing theology in community with others. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we love doing here on the Theology Podcast. So Uh, We're going to wrap it up here uh, for this episode. Uh, So thanks for doing Theology in Community with us here on the Ephesiology Podcast. We're glad that you are part of the growing Ephesiology community, global community. Learn more about Ephesiology and get access to free missional resources for you, your church, and leadership teams at Ephesiology.com. So for Michael, Andrew, and myself, we'll talk again next week right here on the Ephesiology Podcast.